Well, as we continue our worship this morning in the word, can we take a few moments to bow in prayer before the Lord? Um, Father, we rejoice because this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. Father, we have so much to rejoice because of. We have reason to rejoice because our Savior lives. <laughs> Christ conquered sin, death, and Satan on that cross, and we, united with Christ, have that hope as well. Lord, we pray, Father, this morning as we transition our worship into your word that you would go before us, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that you would guide and direct our time together. We pray, Lord, what we know not that you would teach us, what we have not you would give us, and who we are not in Christ that you would make us. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, trips to the grocery store with young children tend to be eventful experiences. Uh, this past week, uh, I had two of our girls with us, and um, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I was headed to the grocery store, and as we headed into the grocery store, I texted my wife, and I said, hey, I'm stopping by the grocery store. If you need anything, let me know what you need. That was my first mistake, folks. <laughs> I got a text message of a list of things that I needed to buy that, I don't know about you, they're difficult to find, you know? Whenever my wife sends me a list, I'm always looking at the aisle. Sometimes I'll call her four or five times. Sometimes it's video chat. Hey, hon, which, which product did you want? Well, as we walked into the store and I got my list that I needed to find, uh, I was looking for one of those kid-friendly carts, if you know what I'm talking about. They've, you know, they look like... Uh, they look like uh, a race car, a police car, and they've got a steering wheel on it. And they had run out of those, but thankfully, they had something I'd never seen before, kid-sized carts. You ever seen these? I mean, they're these tiny little carts that these five-year-olds and these three-year-olds can push around, uh, around the store. And my kids were all excited. They're like, hey, we'll push it. You put the groceries in it, and we'll, we'll bring it around the store. And I said, okay, that's a good idea. Folks, that was my second mistake. <laughs> Well, anyways, the girls, they start pushing the cart. Now, at first, it was okay, right? I mean, uh, they were taking turns. And then as the cart got a little bit heavier, uh, they were pushing it together, struggling a little bit. But by the end of the grocery experience, can I tell you, I was the one, as a full-grown man, stumped <laughs> over pushing this cart down the aisles. But that wasn't the most eventful part of it. You know, somewhere in the middle of our grocery experience, we were in the produce section. And, and on the list, my wife wanted me to get uh, almost a dozen of, of onions. And so I found this big old bag of onions and I plopped it in the cart. And that was about the time the girls started to struggle. And as they were pushing this cart together, we were turning out of the produce aisle into another aisle. And as we were turning, I was walking in front of the girls and I was encouraging them, you guys can do it, keep, keep pushing. Push a little harder. And as they kept pushing, I was walking in front of them. And as I was walking in front of them, all I hear is a big crash. The cart had fallen over. The groceries were spilling out and onions were flying down the aisles. And my girls were screaming at the top of their lungs. I turned to one of my girls and I said, what's wrong? And she showed me her finger. It was just nicked a little bit. Her finger was fine. I turned to the other girl. I said, why are you crying? She said, well, because she's crying and it scared me. And so we're in the middle of the store. We have two girls crying. Onions are going everywhere. And praise the Lord, this one guy, young guy who was working, went out to all the aisles, picking up all of the onions and helped me get everything back in the cart. And then thankfully I was able to hunch over and push that cart. <laughs> 
the rest and check out. And thankfully, I actually got everything that my wife told me to get <laughs> on that list. You know, how many of you know, just like that store and like, just like that grocery store, life can get chaotic at times. Life can get difficult at times. Life can get discouraging at times. Life can throw you a curveball that you didn't expect and it comes flying your way. And we're reminded this morning that discouraging times and difficult times and chaotic times are unfortunately times when we find ourselves most prone to give in to temptation and most prone to give in to sin. And the topic I want to talk about this morning is in good times and in bad, our responsibility as believers to resist temptation. Our responsibility as believers to pursue a pure life. Our responsibility as believers to stay away from our fleshly desires, to abstain from them that war against our souls. And so what we're going to be talking about this morning is how to resist temptation in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll invite you there in your Bibles. We're just going to be looking at a couple verses this morning, verses 11 to 12. As you make your way there in your Bibles, Peter has already laid the foundation for what he's going to talk about through the rest of this chapter and into the next. What Peter had done previously, if you remember our time together in verses 4 to 10, is Peter reminded us of our identity in Christ. Because if you know your identity in Christ and what it means to be a part of the church, the universal church of Jesus Christ, that lays the foundation work for exercising the responsibility that you've been given. Now today we're going to talk about the responsibility of abstaining from fleshly desires, resisting temptation. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about submitting to governing authorities. We're going to talk about submitting to... Um, earthly masters who may even mistreat us. And then we're going to talk about even submission in the home with wives and, and husbands. But before Peter talks about our responsibility, if you recall, he already told us about our identity. So I want to take just a brief moment to remind you of our identity that prepares you to walk in the responsibility that you and I have been given. And what Peter reminded us in verses 4 to 10 was he reminded us we are living stones, we're living because we've received the resurrection life of Christ. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that resides in us and is available to us. And listen, folks, if we've got the resurrection power of Christ living in us, doesn't that mean we would live lives set apart from the world? Not only are we living stones because we've received the resurrection life of Christ, but we're also reminded that we are living stones built upon the cornerstone of Christ. And we are built into the church of Jesus Christ. And we were reminded together in verses 9 to 10 that we're a chosen generation. That we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. And in light of our identity, Peter now encourages us to exercise our responsibility. What is our responsibility uh, as we consider pursuing purity and resisting temptation? Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word together. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may... 
by your good works which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning I want to answer a simple question. How are we encouraged to resist temptation? We're reminded this morning that we're all struggling in some capacity with some kind of temptation in our lives. Now, you may not have the same temptations that I have in my life, but there is no doubt you have temptations and you are struggling, but the text encourages us to resist that temptation, to abstain from fleshly lust, and Peter encourages us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, how to do that. He talks to us how to do that. The first thing we're reminded of is we resist temptation and abstain from fleshly lust. The way we do that is being reminded that we are beloved. Take a moment to consider the fact that you are beloved. Peter begins this way. He says, beloved, I I beg you as sojourners and, and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Uh, Peter, the reason he calls them beloved is for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because he wants to assure these believers of his love for them. Peter writes to them, perhaps as a father in the faith, perhaps as a brother or sister in Christ, and Peter's heart, Peter's desire is that his love for them as a fellow believer, as a father in the faith, would be an encouragement and a motivation for them to pursue purity and to refrain and abstain from their fleshly lusts. I want you to know this about Peter. Peter loves these believers enough to know about the manner of which they struggle. And I ask you this morning, do you love fellow believers or people that you know enough to know that they're struggling? We're all struggling. Do, you, do people know you enough to know that you have your own struggles that you're struggling with? And Peter loves these believers enough to, to know that they are struggling, but Peter loves these believers enough to encourage them in the midst of their struggle. I want to ask you this question this morning in light of our text, and, and it would be this. Are there people in your life right now who know your top three struggles and are encouraging you and praying for you in the midst of those? The second question I want to ask you this morning is, 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 do you have people in your life whose struggles you know and whose struggles you're praying for as they are walking through difficult and hard times? I'm thankful to have people in my life who will ask me questions like, hey, what are your top three struggles and how can I be praying for you? Now, you may not be able to share those top three struggles with just anybody, But when you develop those close-knit relationships within the body of Christ, the kind of fellowship that God designed us to have, one of transparency and one of accountability, those are relationships that help us resist temptation, that help us abstain from fleshly lust, that war against the soul. So he calls them beloved because he assures them of his love for them. And he prays that his love will motivate and encourage them towards purity. But he also calls them beloved to assure them and remind them of God's love for them. I want to remind you this morning, if 
If there's a particular temptation that you find yourself resisting on a regular basis, especially in hard times, you know, difficult times, discouraging times, those things you turn to other than God in those times of need, if there are things that, that, that you can think of, the, the manner in which you resist temptation is by being reminded of the extent of the love of God. God loves you. He has adopted you as a son and daughter of his. You are a living stone built into the church of Jesus Christ, and you have the resurrection life living inside of you. And we need to be reminded of the love of God again and again and again. And the manner in which we're reminded of the love of God is be, by being reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ again and again and again. Texts like Romans 5.8, we know the extent of his love that while we were still yet sinners, while we were still in an unlovely state, God demonstrates his love for us in this, Christ died for us. We're reminded of texts like John 3.16, I pray that that text would never become so familiar to you that you lose the excitement and the joy of it. For God so loved the world. You can always put your name there. For God so loved Jeremiah. For God so loved you that he gave in generosity his son. That whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reminder of God's love is texts like 2 Corinthians 5.21. We read that as we were preparing to take the Lord's table. He, he made him who knew no sin to, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You want to talk about a verse that sums up the good news of the gospel? You want to talk about a verse that reminds us of God's love and motivates us to, to holy living? to pursue Christ and him crucified and to set our lives apart from the world and to the word, be reminded of the love of God again and again and again. God loved you and me so much that he was unwilling to allow sin to have the final say for our eternal destiny. God became a man through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, lived, died, was buried, the third day rose again in newness of life and offered salvation as a free gift to anyone who would believe in him, to anyone who would receive him. And if you've received that love, what a motivation that you have to continue to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul, to continue to refuse temptation to walk in purity, to live as God calls us to live. And so what is, how are we encouraged to, 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 to resist temptation, to pursue purity? First, by being reminded we are, we are beloved. If I could give you a, a couple practical takeaways, I pray this message would be very practical for you. The first thing is that you would resist temptation motivated by your love one for another. And I'd like to encourage you to express that love in, in three ways. The first way is this. Take time to, 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 to get to know your top three struggles and then share the, your top three struggles with someone you trust and ask them to pray for you. Know what your top three struggles are. What are you struggling with this morning? What hardships are you facing? Are you dealing with uncertainty and doubt? Do you find yourself worried and anxious? Do you find yourself turning to a particular idol in times of discouragement, in times of need? What are your top struggles that you're struggling with right now? And who is someone 
that you know in the church, in your family, who you can share those struggles with so that they can pray with you and encourage you. I'd like to challenge you in a very practical way that on the way home, I pray that you don't wait till tonight or, or you wait till tomorrow because, yeah, we'll get this done later. But I'd encourage you if you're married on your way home, whenever you have time with your spouse, take time to, to tell them, hey, I want to share with you my three struggles. And then if you're willing, would you share your struggles with me? And then I want to pray for you. I'm going to tell you right now, that'll greatly bless your marriage. You know, transparency is the key to intimacy. And when you open up your heart and you share who you are inside and the struggles that you have, I'll tell you, your marriage is going to be blessed as you're praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens. If you have children, take the opportunity to ask your child whatever age or stage they may be at, in the home, out of the home, are there three struggles that are your top struggles right now and how can I be praying for you? Take time, if you can, to, to know your struggles, to share those top three struggles, and to ask someone to pray for you. And then secondly, I would invite you, if you have people who trust you, take the opportunity to ask them, what are your top three struggles, and how can I pray for you during this season? That's, that's what it looks like to love one another. That's what true fellowship looks like in the church. And, and I'll tell you this, when we fight against these fleshly desires in community. We don't do it alone. The enemy would love to get you isolated, set apart from the community of God. When you find yourself having fallen, walking in sin, those are the times when, when Satan wants to, to isolate you. But those are the times when you need the body of Christ the most. And those times when you need that, 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 that out you know, because God always provides that out. I, I need that person in my life that I can call, that I can text, that I can meet with, who can pray with me and encourage me because they know my top three struggles and they're praying with me through them. The, main, the, the manner in which we resist temptation is by doing that, but also by, by adopting all of the, the one another's of Scripture. I wanted to take a moment this morning to read to you all of the one another's of scripture. There's a total of 100 uh, that you see one another within the Greek text, but there are actually 59 that speak of commands, of things we are to do and commands that we are not to do. But the top command in regards to one another is love one another. Love one another is written 16 times in the scriptures, and so I'm gonna share that with you 16 times. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Love one another, 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 love one another. When God repeats himself, we better pay attention. And the reminder what, that we need is that we need to love one another selflessly and sacrificially. Uh, the text goes uh, throughout scripture. I won't read to you all of the specific texts, but I'm gonna give them to you. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love, 
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Uh, Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up, provoke, or stimulate one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. And there's some negative commands. Let me read those to you. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. We do all this because we are, in a real sense, members of one another. Those are the one another's of Scripture. Helpful to hear them, to be reminded of them, but more so to walk in them. Because as a community of believers, we're in this together. As we bear one another's burdens, I will tell you the way that we conquer our fleshly lust, that war against the soul, is by means of fighting together. So first and foremost, I want to remind you, you are beloved. That's how you resist. You are beloved, and so you exercise love with one another. You are reminded of God's love for you. Memorize those scriptures of love uh, texts like Romans 5.8 that we said, John 3.16, 2 Corinthians 5.21, but you can make a longer list of what that looks like. So first, resist temptation, being reminded you are beloved. Secondly, resist temptation by being encouraged by God's word. Peter says this, he says, beloved, I, I encourage you, or in our text, um, it's, it's written in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you. Uh, The word I beg you is the same word in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul is writing to the Romans and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a a living sacrifice. Uh, That word I beg you means I beseech you, I, uh, I encourage you, I exhort you, but in the Greek it literally means to come alongside of another and call them out and call them towards purity. And so the picture here is of Peter coming alongside of these believers who are scattered throughout Asia Minor and taking the opportunity to encourage them. And the manner in which he encourages them is he encourages them by declaring God's word over them. I don't know if you know this or not, but Peter isn't giving us his opinion here. (laughs) When he's talking about our responsibility to government or or our responsibility to abstain from fleshly lust or, or our responsibility when it comes to servants and masters who even mistreat us or within the home when you have submission between wives and husbands and he's not simply giving us opinion and Peter, his opinion, Peter's not saying, hey, this is what I think is right. No, he's simply declaring the word of God and God's word is the final word on all matters to which it speaks. And Peter says, I beg you, and he shares with us, he's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what the word of God tells us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any apostles today who have written me and have encouraged me. But the great thing about it is we have the word of God, 
that's written through apostles and those who are closely associated with apostles. And we have the word of God to encourage us, to strengthen us, to come alongside of us, to help us resist temptation, to help build us up according to our needs in Christ Jesus. And God's word does just that. How do you resist temptation? And overcome the difficulties that you face in your life and, the, and, the, and, those, and those things you struggle with in your life and abstain from fleshly desires. I'll give you two practical ways in light of God's word which serves to encourage us and build us up according to our needs in Jesus Christ. The first one is as you identify those three struggles and you share those three struggles with someone who's going to pray for you, Take those three struggles, and with each struggle, take a look at God's word and prepare what I like to call a planned biblical response. I like to call it a PBR. Now, the first time I, I, I was, well, I was sharing this with, with someone I was discipling one time, and I was, uh, they were new in the faith, and, and they had told me at the time, are you talking about a beer? And I said, no, I'm not talking about a beer. I'm talking about a planned biblical response. And so when you take a look at your struggles, what I'd like you to do and encourage you to do is, is consider what's your struggle. Maybe it's anxiety. Pull up a concordance and look up all of the texts that talk about anxiety and stress. If you don't have a concordance, we'd love to work with you and point you to one. And as you take a look at that concordance, when you feel anxious, when you feel worried, when you find yourself a little bit depressed, go back to God's word that will serve to encourage you and build you up according to your needs in Christ Jesus. Are you anxious? Have a planned biblical response. Do you struggle with a particular temptation? Do you struggle with lust? Do you, do you struggle with anger? Do you struggle with, uh, with, with trusting God in, in difficult times? Get a planned biblical response, and God will do amazing things through that. Uh, one thing we've been using for our children when we uh, discipline them is uh, our children's, children's director here, Jalen. One of the books she recommends is Instruction in Righteousness. It's a book that is kind of like a concordance of scriptures, and so when, you're, uh, when a child uh, does something and uh, you're talking, talking with your child and let's say they're, they're struggling with selfishness, right? You need a planned biblical response for that. As you discipline them, as you, as, as you encourage them, as you punish them if they need punishment. But, but what you do is you go back to the word and, and you say, hey, where are all the scriptures that talk about selfishness and how can I talk to my child about this and tell them what God's word says about this? And what you're ultimately doing there with that is you're, you're having a planned biblical response with your child. And so first and foremost, I'd encourage you, what are your top three struggles? Write them down and then take those top three struggles and have a planned biblical response for each one. And the next time you feel like you're going to give in, the next time you feel the pressure or feel triggered, if you want to put it that way, take time to check the word. Take time to get into time with the Lord. Resist temptation by preparing a PBR. Secondly, resist temptation by your commitment to God's word. You know, often when we find ourselves struggling or we're struggling with a particular, well, hardships in life or temptations of sin, the first question I usually ask anyone who finds themselves struggling is, how's your devotional life? How's your time with the Lord? 
How's your time in prayer and how's your time in the word? Because I will tell you this, when you're so committed to the word of God, when you're so committed to prayer, you don't have time to be thinking about these temptations. You don't have time to be walking in sin. It's hard to be focused on the Lord and focused on his word and the world at the same time. And so the reminder this morning is commit yourself to the word of God. Commit yourself to prayer. Commit yourself to devotional time with him. Like all of us, I struggle too. Sometimes you get a little bit distracted. You know, you're you're spending time with the Lord in the morning and your mind goes this way or or your phone dings and you want to pick it up. Maybe sometimes you just need to silence that thing. But some people say, you know, that's just not me. I mean, you're, you're a pastor, so isn't that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to spend time with the Lord in the Word, and you're supposed to spend time in prayer, but I struggle with it. Well, the truth of the matter is, God is your heavenly Father who loved you, who sent his son to die for you, who transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How much more would you want to spend time with him and, and chat with him? It'd be a terrible thing if I... If I talked to my wife, my wife called me and said, hey, I need to have a serious conversation with you. I want to talk to you early in the morning. And I say, okay, hon, what, what do you want to talk about? And she starts talking. And, and I say, hon, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm having trouble focusing. I'm having trouble. I'm getting distracted. My mind is going this way and going that way. I'll give you a couple minutes, but, but I, that's all that I can give to you. No, she's my wife. I love her. I listen to her. I share with her my heart, and we have that time together. And if we don't, she would have a problem with me. How much more the Lord? How much more should we say, God, you are so much more valuable to me. It's going to start with a couple minutes. It's going to grow into more minutes and then maybe even longer. But I'm going to devote myself and commit myself to you. We're not just talking about checking off a box and said, okay, I read my Bible and I prayed this morning, but getting closer to the Lord through those disciplines. That's how you resist temptation. That's how you overcome it. That's how you conquer those sinful desires that war against your flesh. So first, by being reminded we're beloved. Secondly, being encouraged by God's word. Thirdly, being reminded we are sojourners and pilgrims passing through this world. The reason he describes them as pilgrims and sojourners uh, is because they are temporary residents uh, that are passing through. A sojourner is a stranger, one who is among citizens of a nation, but they themselves are not citizens. They have not been naturalized, nor will they be naturalized. They're foreigners because they are temporary residents. We are reminded this morning that which motivates us to resist temptation is the reminder that as te- temporary residents, we have not been called to adopt the, the values of this world. How the world responds to sin is not how we as Christians respond to sin. The world, when the sin comes, embraces sin, celebrates sin, finds temporary satisfaction in the sin that leaves them wanting more. No, we are temporary residents. We're just passing through. So the first reason we're reminded we're sojourners and pilgrims is we're temporary residents. Secondly, because we're heavenly citizens. Listen, folks, we're on a journey. We're on a journey just going through. I don't know where you live, somewhere in Lane County, Springfield, Eugene, 
and maybe you made it your forever home. Folks, that's not your forever home. We're just passing through. I don't know if you know this, but all those things you've accumulated, your house, your car, all of your possessions, unfortunately, you've got to leave all those behind. The only thing that you're going to be taking with you are those investments that are eternal. When you invest in God, when you invest in his word, when you invest in people, those are all investments that are going to have an eternal return. And we are heavenly citizens. You know, as heavenly citizens, we're reminded uh, that in heaven, God rules and reigns. And as heavenly citizens, we're reminded God rules and reigns over our lives. He rules and reigns over our minds. He rules and reigns over our hearts. He rules and reigns over our actions, our attitudes, our affections, and our action. God rules and reigns. And so you better believe as heavenly citizens, you're going to be looking different than the world around you. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been a foreigner in another country, you notice that people watch you a lot. I am half Filipino, and so I've, I've, with our family, traveled a couple times to the Philippines. But even though I'm half Filipino to visit our family out there, they still see me as a foreigner. I mean, you get off the airplane, and you're walking around, and people are just staring at you. And they, you know, they're not even ashamed. They just point at you like, look at that foreigner over there. And how many of you know when you're a foreigner, people are more prone uh, to... Be critical. They're looking for things about you. And what we're reminded is we're foreigners. We're, we're heavily sitting. So people are going to look at us a little bit differently. We raise our family differently. We love differently. We don't just love those who love us. We, we love those who, who, who mistreat us. Uh, we, we're different. We're, we're, we're to follow our example of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And so as heavenly citizens, we are set apart. We are foreigners. We should be different. Now, I hate to use the word weird, but you should be set apart. You should be different. You should be attractive in the regards to something about you in the sense that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are you have the resurrection life of Christ living inside of you. Of course, you should be different. You're a heavenly citizen. As a heavenly citizen, Christ rules and reigns. As a heavenly citizen, we follow his kingdom agenda. We follow his word. We don't follow the agenda of man. We follow the agenda of God. Experience is not our number one priority. God is our top priority. Sometimes people will come to me and They'll ask me a question and say, hey, what do you think of, of this topic? What do you think of this sin? What do you think about this lifestyle? And I'll often say, well, it doesn't matter what I think. As a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my job is to point you to what the authority of God's word has to say. You know, some people will say, well, you know, I want to chat with you about this because of your experience. Or they'll say, I'm not too interested in chatting with you because you don't have experience with that. But I can take an opportunity to say, if you're going to chat with me, at least as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my authority is not experience. My authority is not what the world has to say. My authority is God's word. And when I'm speaking, hopefully, I'm grounded in the word of God. God's word is the final authority on all matters to which it speaks. And we're reminded that we are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through. Unfortunately, that means that in this life, in, in this world, 
our bodies are, are slowly deteriorating. As you grow one year older, you're not, you're not in the land of the living, you're in the land of the dying. Howard Hendricks once put it this way, most people think they're in the land of the living, heading toward the land of the dead, but the truth is we're in the land of the dying, heading toward the land of the living. I think as the church, we've, we've lost our love for heaven. We forget that we're just passing through, that we are just temporary residents, that this is not our forever home. And, and, and we're like, well, I want to do this or I want to do that before you know, we get to heaven or the Lord comes back again. You forget all that. Heaven is greater than anything you could ever dream of or imagine. Jesus is going to be there. We're going to be with God and his people forever and ever. That is our eternal home. But as we are temporary residents, as heavenly citizens, what does that look like for us to resist temptation and to walk in purity? I'd like to give us a couple things. The first one is we are expected, as I've already said, to respond differently to sin than the culture around us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you have the resurrection life of Christ in you, and you've received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you're not going to respond to, the, to sin the same way you did before Christ came into your life. You won't want to. Romans 6, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We've been united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We don't respond to sin the same way the world responds to it. What does that mean? When it comes to sin, how should we respond? First, don't embrace it. Certainly don't celebrate it. Secondly, call sin for what it is, sin. Rebellion against God. Disobedience before him. We stand accountable before the king and the judge of the universe. We better call sin for what it is, sin. And thirdly, knowing that we don't embrace it, we call it sin, we confess it and we repent of it. We change our mind and we change our direction. Why? Because we are new creations in Christ. We've been united with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. As sojourners, as pilgrims who are just temporary residents passing through. That is how we are to respond to sin. Secondly, uh, we are to be reminded of our mission. Uh, we talked about that last week. The reason God hasn't taken you the moment that you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord is because he's still got an assignment for you. Your assignment is not, to, is not to make as much money as possible and put it in your bank account. Your assignment is, is not to, to pursue a, a successful career. Your assignment isn't even to have a happy family or to pursue the American dream. Your assignment and mine is to bring as many people with us as we Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others and invite them to be followers of Christ. We are called to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you, when you're so focused on your mission, you don't have time to be distracted by sin. When you're so focused on what you've been called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have time to fool around with temptation over here. You're walking in the calling that God has called you into. You know, if we're just passing through, I want to encourage you today, don't 
allow the temptations of sin to slow you down or to keep you from your final destination. You're gonna spend eternity with God and his people forever and ever. That's our destination. Let's stay faithful to our assignment and let's, let's abstain from fleshly lusts that war against our souls. And then thirdly, how do we, or fourthly, how are we called to resist temptation uh, by means of being reminded we are soldiers in a spiritual battle. Uh, let me read to you verse 11 again. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're in a battle. You're fighting every day. Now the truth of the matter is you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now you have the desire to serve him. And you have the power and the freedom to say no to sin. But that flesh is still there. The power of sin is no more. Christ has conquered it. But until one day when Jesus comes back or we receive glorified body, that flesh is still there. And so we're still in this ongoing battle with sin. And so we struggle. One of the marks of a believer and a Christian is actually struggle. You, you know how, a, how an unbeliever responds to sin and temptation? They don't struggle with it. They embrace it. Bring it on. Give me all the sin I can get. I'm going to walk in sin because that's just part of their nature. No, that's not you no more. You struggle. And so there are ongoing struggles you have. What are those struggles that war against the soul that will destroy your spiritual life, that will hinder you from fulfilling what God has called you to fulfill? We're reminded that we are soldiers in a spiritual battle. What are these fleshly lusts that we're talking about, these, uh, these desires of the flesh? You know, sometimes when we talk about fleshly desires, we think immediately of sexual sin. Now, we're not just talking about sexual sin, that's part of it, but we're talking about natural appetites that are corrupted by sin. I often share it this way, a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a God thing in your life. A good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a foundational thing in your life. I often define it in regards to idolatry. An idol is anything that takes the place of God as the most important focus and priority in your life. Can I ask you, when you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself needy, when you find yourself in chaotic, uncertain times, what do you turn to other than God? That is your idol. It becomes your primary focus. It becomes utmost importance. Unfortunately, in times of discouragement, some of us, instead of turning to the Lord, turn to food. Some people turn to themselves. Some people find themselves anxious and worried. Uh, what do you turn to? So some people find security in their bank account or their possessions. Uh, what do you Look to other than God to bring you ultimate satisfaction and to be the primary importance in your life. If God is not enough, whatever you try to add to that is ultimately an idol. And so this morning, we're reminded fleshly lusts come in the form of idolatry. Fleshly lusts come in the, the form of selfishness. We think of ourselves before we're thinking of others. It's all about me. The world revolves around me. I don't care about how you feel or what you think. I care more about what I feel and what I think. You know, in, in Galatians 5.16, we read this. I say, then walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
You know, you read a text like that and say, well, sounds easy. Just need to walk in the spirit and I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. We, we see selfishness and idolatry and, and strife here. You know, strife is, is, is a, a, a fleshly desire in the sense that we are a cause for contention among people <coughs> and we live for it. Uh, um, uh, someone who finds themselves moving towards fleshly desires in regards to strife might be someone who's holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart and unwilling to forgive the other person. Mm. I say adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're reminded of these fleshly desires that war against the soul that will destroy our lives. Can I ask you this morning, as you consider what your struggles are, what idol do you struggle with the most? When it comes to selfishness uh, or in conversations in your relationships, how does that expose itself? And, and how do you struggle so that you can share that struggle with someone else and they can pray for you? So that you can have a planned biblical response for that particular struggle. So that you can walk in purity. So that you can resist temptation. So that you can abstain from fleshly lusts. So we hear about these fleshly lusts. What does it look like to resist temptation in light of this? Let me give you a, four, a few takeaways. The first one is this. Resist temptation by admitting your struggle. You first have to admit your need. That's the first step. You know, if uh, I were to ask you today, what are your top three struggles and how can I pray for you? And you say, well, to be honest, I'm not really struggling right now. Well, I know a couple of your struggles. You're, you're, you might be a liar. <laughs> Pride might be another problem. But we're all struggling and we need to admit those struggles. Uh, Paul says, for I know that in me that is my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's the struggle. Secondly, resist temptation not just by admitting your struggle, but by understanding how temptation works. James 1, 14 to 15 gives us a good explanation of that. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Who tempts us? Does God tempt us? James says, no, that's not God. You're tempted by your own fleshly desires. And what ends up happening is that desire leads to deception. That's what it means to be enticed. That word entice there, it, it speaks of a, a hook which you catch a fish. The fish sees the bait on that hook and he's deceived by it. Tasty and delicious. Looks like the meal for the day and he grabs it. And ultimately what ends up happening is you have your desires that lead to deception and when you are deceived, ultimately disobedience comes and ultimately death. Verse 15 says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. So that's how temptation works. Now, some of us, we know the struggles we have and we identify it, but we know what steps we need not to take next because we know when we're fully deceived by it. You know, you have that desire. 
And in a moment, we're going to read a text that tells us, you know, there's always the way out. The, what was the time when you the, the had the way, the way out? Well, the, the moment you thought of the, the desire. But what we end up doing is, is, is we have the desire. You may not be able to control the first look or the first thought, but you can control the second one. You could choose to continue to meditate on it. You continue to look at it. And ultimately, that will lead you to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. And disobedience ultimately leads to death. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. I think someone needs to be reminded if you're struggling with a particular temptation and you found, haven't found victory, I want you to know that God is faithful. That you have the resurrection life of Christ living in you and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saved you and the same power that sanctifies you. You can walk in a life set apart to him, walk in purity. You don't have to walk in defeat. You're a believer, you're a Christian. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you will be able to bear it. I always like to share this, you know. Uh, don't go out and buy a bunch of chocolate and then shove it into your, your cupboard boards at home and, and then pray, Lord, please don't let me eat any of it. That's an easy way to deceive yourself. There are certain places you shouldn't go. There are certain people that you don't need to be around because that desire will ultimately lead to deception and deception will lead to disobedience and disobedience will ultimately lead to death. You need to know yourself because if you don't, I want you to know the enemy does. If you don't struggle with alcohol what do you th- and drunkenness, Satan's not going to dangle into your face. Alcohol. That anxieties, it worries, it stress, get to know yourself so that you can resist temptation. And then fourthly, fight your battles on your knees. The best way to win and win every time is by never getting into the ring. My favorite illustration are these two dogs, and I'll share it with you. You might have heard this before. Once a wise man who had walked with the Lord for many years was talking with his teenage grandson who had recently become a Christian. Gramps just can't seem to get the hang of this Christian life. Sometimes I feel real close to God and have no trouble at obeying him, but other times I want to do and say all kinds of junk that I knew would be wrong. It just doesn't seem fair to me. Why can't I be good all the time? Well, Sonny... I'll tell you something I found out a long time ago. Being a Christian is a lot like having two dogs living inside of you, a good one and a bad one, and they're always fighting. That sure does sound like me, Gramps. And the bad one wins more often than I'd like. Which one wins in you, Gramps? Says the one I feed. Which one are you feeding? Two men live in my heart, someone once said. The old Adam and Jesus, when temptation knocks on the door, somebody has to answer. If I let Adam answer, I will sin. So I send Jesus to answer. He always wins. Don't get in the ring. Fight your battles on your knees and find victory that God offers each one of us. Resist temptation, being reminded we are soldiers in a spiritual battle. And lastly, in verse 12, resist temptation as witnesses to a lost world around you. You have an assignment, and that assignment is to be set apart from the world to the word. 
set apart to the Lord to be a witness for Jesus Christ so that you can take as many people with you on this journey as you head home to heaven. Verse 12 reads this way. It says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Gentiles here is referring to unbelievers. When it says conduct here, it's speaking of not just our actions, but our lifestyle. We're talking about our, uh, our lifestyle. And so people are watching you. How many of you know that? And what we're called to do in, in regards to our lifestyle is to live an honorable lifestyle. The Greek word there is koloss. It speaks of beautiful so when we're talking about honorable, we're not just talking about honesty and integrity. We're talking about that which is beautiful and that which is attractive. And unbelievers take a look at your life and they say, there's something different about them and there's something attractive about them. And they may not say it to you, but they see it. So that's how we're supposed to live. We're to live having our conduct honorable among the Gentiles then it says that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen, you're a foreigner. You're not of this world, but you are in this world. And so when people look at foreigners, they're prone to become critical of you. And so they're keeping a close eye on you. But even when they criticize you, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says... When they speak against you, that, that by your good works, they, they may observe and glorify God in the day of visitation. The, the word observe there isn't just to look at quickly, but it speaks to look at intently. If you find yourself in the workplace as a believer and as a Christian, people are watching you. You know, when you're in the grocery store with your kids, people are watching you. You know, when you're in the doctor's office interacting with the person at the front desk and then you chat with the doctor, people are, are watching you. As a Christian and as a believer and you're interacting with different businesses around town, as, as you're talking with friends and as you're meeting your neighbors, people are watching you. And as they watch you, they may be critical of you. They may say, those Christians, they're bad people. I want and nothing to do with them, close-minded, bigoted folks. But the Lord says, by your good works, they might be a witness to them so that on the day of visitation, they glorify God. Now, you may not know exactly all those people when they trust in Christ or if they trust in Christ, but one day you will. And so we're reminded to to pursue purity. We're reminded that it's not just about us. How many of you know when you're, when you're deceived by your sin and enticed by your sin, you're only thinking about yourself? You're only thinking about me, myself, and I, but the reminder is you have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ in the world. You don't have time to fool around with sin. Stay focused on what your calling has been. Warren Wiersbe once shared this. In summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors met in a council at Buffalo Creek, New York to hear a presentation of the Christian message by a Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. After the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, one of the leading chiefs. Among other things, the chief said, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place, these people are our neighbors. We're acquainted with them. 
We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. I want to close with this this morning. What effect has your faith had on your life? Since you've come to Christ, as you are being sanctified and set apart to Christ and pursuing purity in all things, have people noticed the effect that your faith has on your life to the, to, to the sense that your life has become beautiful, attractive? And as people take a look at your life that's set apart to the Lord, it's almost like a sweet aroma. And when you smell it, you want to be around it and you want to get to know more about it. What an opportunity we have to point people to Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. Uh, Let me just leave you with two things this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, the invitation is to come and follow him. All you have to do is come as you are. The great thing about the Lord is he won't leave you there. He'll change you and transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer this morning, abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. Resist temptation and walk in the purity that God has provided us through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. We thank you for the, for the reminder of our identity as living stones who have received the resurrection power of Christ in our life. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saves us and the same power that sanctifies us. In light of our identity in Christ, I pray that you would help us as believers to admit the fact that we all struggle to admit our need um, uh, to, to resist temptation, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray in the days ahead, in the hours ahead, that you would identify people in our lives that we can be honest and transparent with, who that we can share our three top struggles with and ask others to pray for us. I pray, Lord, that we can be that blessing in the lives of others, that there would be people in our lives today or in the days ahead or, or people we get to encourage who, who might ask us, what are your top three struggles and, and how can I pray for you? I pray, Lord, that, that that would be the opportunity we have one with another. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here today who hasn't trusted in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, but today they would say, my heart is broken, my heart is sinful, but I know I need Jesus. I pray that they can pray this prayer as I, I pray it. Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. I'm sinful and I'm broken, but I thank you that Jesus refused to allow sin to have the final say on my eternal destiny. Today I make Jesus my Savior and my Lord, the one who died on the cross for my sins and rose again in newness of life. He's the one I want to commit to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we pray as we head out this this morning, that you'd bless us, that you'd keep us and make your face continue to shine upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.